If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, you'll find the sermon text on the back of the sermon outline in your program this morning. A wonderful short passage of Scripture, John 1, 35, down through verse 42. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. So far the reading of God's word. Well, yesterday, down on the Capitol steps in Washington, D.C., was the big event. Does anybody know what happened at the Capitol yesterday? It was called the Great Reason Rally. And 20 atheist organizations joined hands and called people from all over America to come to the Reason Rally and to express themselves, uh, billing it as the biggest coming out party for the fastest growing religious group in the United States, the atheists. And uh, I think they were anticipating 30,000 people, but they probably had, uh, as some reports say, up to 10,000 people who showed up yesterday at the Capitol. And they had with them, uh, you could say tongue-in-cheek, their high priest, Richard Dawkins, the great English scientist who has a huge following. He was their keynote speaker. And they have their saint, of course, Christopher Hitchens, who's recently died. They have their sacred script, which is anything Richard Dawkins writes against religion and and against Christianity in particular. And they, they are good evangelists. They're very skilled in their evangelism. Why, uh, right now, as you drive into Manhattan, you see these billboards. There are billboards now that say, Celebrating Life Without God. At the bottom, it's the Atheist Society of America. And they have camps for kids. Did you know that? You can go online. You'll see it's called a, a Camp Quest and their website, so well done, so professional. A place for fun, friends, and free thought. 
And they have campfires, you know, and crafts and all kinds of activities. And, and it's a training time. And everywhere in this camp there are signs that read, No God Allowed. And they have training, evangelism training for atheism. And uh, in the technical sense of the word, they are evangelical. And one of the women speakers I heard stood up to a cheering crowd and said, We're here and we are godless and you better get used to it. Well, if you're our guest today, over the past few weeks, we've been talking uh, about the fact that Jesus Christ says to His church, to His disciples, you are the light of the world. And then He says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. And we've been studying how to do that um, so that we can tell the good news about who He is and that He's the Savior of the world. And as we finish this brief series together, before we go to Palm Sunday next week, uh, we want to underscore that you and I need to be equipped not only to, to go and tell the good news, but according to this text, according to this passage, we have to learn how to simply say, like Andrew did, come and see. Because you know when you do evangelism, sometimes like Philip and the Apostle Paul, you go and tell, you defend your faith and you preach the Word. And, uh, but other times, there's this beautiful dynamic portrayed again and again in the New Testament where just one believer says to a friend, come and see. And that's a beautiful way to do evangelism. So let's take a a look at these few brief verses together, because we should be better at this than the atheists are at their evangelism, you know. And I want us to look just briefly for a few moments at this, well, frankly, this relatively unknown disciple named Andrew. Andrew. In its origin in the Greek language, andros. In the Spanish language, Andreas. The word means simply man, man, and Andrew is every man. Andrew is the ordinary disciple. In fact, in fact, Andrew is known several times, not by him who he is, but who his brother is. Did you catch that in the text? You know, he's not even just called Andrew. He's, he's Simon, Peter's brother. And some of you have grown up. You grew up living in the shadow of your big brother, you know, and, and that's, what you, that's, that's Josh's little brother there in the front row. And, uh, you know, we, we, it's not so little, is he? But, but we, we can relate. Andrew in the New Testament is every man, every woman, every child. And he's not the famous disciple, except that he's the one who brought Peter to Jesus. I wonder if any of you here know the name Mordecai Ham. What a great name. Anybody know who Mordecai Ham was? Mordecai Ham was the man who led Billy Graham to Christ in 1934. Nobody's ever heard of Mordecai Ham. 
But the world has been changed because of the ministry of Billy Graham, and it's Mordecai Ham who drew Billy Graham into a Sunday school, and there in the Sunday school led him to Christ. So here's Andrew, and he's buddies with John the Baptist, you young guys. You love hanging out with your friends, and that's, that's what are you doing, kids? What are you doing today? I'm hanging out with my friends. And and uh, Andrew's hanging out with his friends, his buddies, John the Baptist, and, and they talk a lot about life and God. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes walking by, and John points out to them, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God. And they say, Wow. And John the Baptist says, Well, check him out. Check out Jesus. And we, we're not told, but somehow they follow Jesus, and it says Jesus turned and saw them. And I'm not exactly sure what to read into that, but maybe they were, maybe they were hesitant. Some of you were hesitant when you were invited to come to church. Oh, Lord, what do you mean I've got to go to church? And that first time you went, you might have been hesitant. But Jesus saw them, and He says, Come. I love that about Jesus. He says, come. In fact, one of the verses that is so precious to the church is that statement, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That's what Jesus, he's, he's an inviting Savior. And, and that's behind this come and see evangelism is just the heart of Jesus who softly and tenderly says, come home to me. He says to Andrew, come, and Andrew is converted we might as well use the term. Andrew is a picture of everyone's conversion, everyone who comes to Jesus. It says he followed him, he stayed with him, and it just means he became a disciple of Jesus. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of the Christ? You know, it's interesting, over the past hundred years or so, there have been certain times in the history of the church when when some pastors and leaders said, you know, it's okay to call yourselves Christians, but when you, when you speak to your neighbor and you say, I'm a Christian, they just sort of think, well, I guess you're like in a denomination or you have a religion. And so out in, in, in hippie country in California in the 1960s, as there was this mass movement of people to Jesus, what did they call themselves? They were the Jesus people. I like that. That's who they were. They were the Jesus people. About 10 years ago in the Midwest, a number of the big mega churches, their pastors agreed that maybe it's okay to call yourselves Christians, but maybe it would be more accurate and would strike up more conversations if when someone says, what kind of religion do you have, you, you would say, I'm a Christ follower. That's interesting. I'm a Christ follower. At least that's not just saying I'm a Christian or I'm a Presbyterian or some sort of label. That, it never really caught on. I don't know what you think of it, but I at least find that intriguing as a different way of explaining that I'm not just a part of a religious sect. I'm a Christ follower. But even more, the revelation was, and this is at the beginning of the Gospel of John. It will explode as the Gospel develops, but John plants the seed, Behold the Lamb of God. And it struck a chord deep in Andrew's heart, the Lamb of God. And he had something to say to Peter, to be sure. 
The Lamb of God. Who was the Lamb of God? That was the animal that was slain to make atonement for sins. And one day, Andrew will understand that Jesus, as He hung on the cross, there received the wrath of God and the punishment that He deserved. Christ, the great substitute. Christ, the Savior. And Andrew now begins a lifelong adventure of discipleship, of knowing Jesus Christ. Is that you? I hope that's you. I hope that's me. That's us. We are Christ followers. We are in the Lamb of God. And this was big stuff, big stuff. And so he runs home back to Peter. And this is point number two. You see in your outline that Andrew has this immediate impulse to go back to his family and to bring them to Jesus. He has this impulse inside of him. And if you're a Christ follower, so do you. Look at the text. It says, the first thing. What does that reflect to you? It reflects priority. Priority. What are the priorities of your life? That would be an interesting discussion we could have over lunch sometime. What are the priorities of your life? But at least here we see a priority in Andrew's life. The first thing. And so, as we've been learning the past few weeks, personal renewal, life change that comes from a relationship with Jesus, leads immediately to mission. And that's a new new idea for some of us. It's a new idea for some of us because, because, well, we've enjoyed such blessing from knowing Jesus. And it's really wonderful that some of us think, my life is a mess. It's chaotic. It's out of control. I come to Jesus, and Jesus orders my private world in such a way that I'm new and I'm happy, and now I live happily ever after. Some of us, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I've messed up. I've got sins. I'm guilty. And I come to Jesus, and I experience the forgiveness of sins. I experience peace with God. I experience such relief of knowing that heaven is my eternal home, and I live happily ever after. But you see, what does that miss? That's just a picture that is the only thing Jesus came to do was to make you happy so that you could live happily ever after? No, no. Otherwise, He'd take you straight home to heaven. But until He takes you straight home to heaven for the true happily ever after, He has you here for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a part of His mission. And that mission is immediately an impulse planted inside Andrew's soul and planted inside your soul. The first thing he did was to get on board with telling others about Jesus. And I love this. Who did he go to? Well, he could have knocked on doors and handed out tracts, but what he did was he went to his brother. He went to his Well, we use the word oikos. That's the Greek word for family. And it doesn't just mean mom and dad. It's it's all those people in your circle of relationships, in your web of relationships, that God has put each of us in a dance, in a tapestry of people that we intersect with. That's your oikos. And He goes back to, to them and He says, 
Come and see. What a picture for us of of the Christian who's been touched and renewed. Yes, Andrew is going to live happily ever after. Jesus is going to forgive his sins and he's going to love that. He's going to have a new organizing center to his life. It's going to be great. But don't miss this. The first impulse, the priority, is to lead others to the Messiah. I have to tell you, I, I remember, this was a long time ago. I still remember when I was in getting counselor training for the Billy Graham crusade when he came to New York, and some of you might have been there, getting counselor training, the, the instructor talked about a commercial on TV for Mercedes-Benz. And he, and he explained this commercial where Mercedes uh, in, shows this beautiful sedan and, um, and how there was some aspect of the design of this Mercedes that was so unique energy efficiency or energy absorbing or something like that. It's so unique that they didn't patent it so that other car manufacturers could use it as well. And then the voiceover comes on the air because there are some things too important not to share. And I like that. Does that make sense to you? (laughs) Are there some things too important not to share? What was the priority? Hey, brother, brother Simon, come and see. You know, some of the leaders in our church are the young people at this, our teenagers. And I commend you I love the way Austin brings his friend John to our youth group. I love the way Wesley and Samantha bring their friend Ryan to our youth group. We are honored that Kevin and Marshawn have become members of our church and active in serving in the life of our church because Danny and Josh brought them in. Well, if our teenagers can do it, and Nathaniel in in elementary school, brings his friend. If the children can do it, then adults, what about us? If they can do it, can't we? Thank you. Because you see, they have this sense of priority. We should all have this sense of priority, but we don't sometimes. And why not? Because there are things that sabotage this impulse that if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you're going to have this impulse to invite, and something sabotages it. Something shuts it down. What shuts it down in you and in me? Well, it's both internal and external, isn't it? What sabotages it in me, we call it the fear of man, the opinions of others. And let's just be honest. We, we're, it's not so much that we're scared about the sword, No, what terrifies us is the raised eyebrow. Mm. The fear of man. Or or we talked last week about the woman at the well. Remember this scandalous woman? And, you know, well, we all have a history of failure in our life. And, you know, if I tell them that I've got this relationship with Jesus, they know me better. They know me. And, And maybe I have things in my life history 
even since I've become a Christian, that aren't so stellar, and I'm kind of embarrassed to then invite others to come. But that woman was not worried about her reputation, and she didn't care about her scandalous past. She just was drawing people to Jesus, and she's a great example. We can overcome that. So there's internal reasons why we might not bring others to Jesus. But Actually, we also know that there's a lot of opposition out there. You know, I mentioned atheism at the beginning of my sermon. Atheism as a legitimate religion is really growing. And our children are going to school with well-equipped atheists who know how to argue their position. And you go to work, and sitting next to you at work is somebody who's actually been trained at how to promote atheism. A friend in our church introduced me to um, uh, a man named Bruce Lockerbie, and I've been reading his book called Dismissing God. And he has some real insights into the promotion of atheism just among the, the intellectual elite of our world. And I I won't uh, go through it all with you, but he writes this, to deny the reality of God is to deny that there is any final sanction in moral life, and it is to deny a judgment day which ultimately allots to each according to his or her own needs. And if you can eliminate the awareness of God, then you eliminate the police force in the human heart. It's really true. You see, atheists like to say to Christians, oh, you Christians, you just believe a bunch of myths because you're, you're afraid. You're fearful people. This is common atheist argument. You're afraid of the tornado. You're afraid of the grave. And so you have to project with wish projection a God up there who's going to take care of you because you're fearful people. Well, you know, we might be afraid of the tornado and we might be afraid of death, but, but that's not the reason we invented God. Oh, no. In fact, now you use judo on your opponent. And Lockerbie teaches, and what you do is you say to the atheist, to the contrary, and I want, to, I want you to be able to do this, to the contrary. You want to talk about who's motivated by fear? Denial of God is the convenient escape from the judgment day that atheism is really motivated by a desire to suppress the truth of God. Romans 1, 18 and verse 21 teaches us. Atheism is motivated by a desire to escape the reality because life is so much easier if there's no judgment day, no God to answer to. It's just convenient for us. And you're the ones motivated by fear of the great reality that one day we must all give an account to God. Does that make sense to you? You Don't be surprised that that you, you, you run into this. The other great enemy in America, in the schools of Long Island, it comes from the legacy of of Ralph Waldo Emerson and Walt Whitman, our beloved Walt Whitman. Aren't you glad he built a mall out in Huntington? You know, but but Ralph Waldo Emerson and 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 Walt Whitman were men who had this great American sense of self as Messiah. The rugged individualism of 
of American culture. It, we've learned to say, as, as frankly Whitman does in, in his, in his uh, Song of Myself, that, well, yes, there is a God. He, he, it's not atheism per se. Yes, there is a God, but, but God is going to be very glad when He finally meets me to congratulate me on what a fine fellow I am. For, how does he say it? I'm not good with poetry. Don Cameron could help me. I am pleased with thee and thou with me. He says, let others deprecate and repent and confess their sins. I am pleased with thee and thou with me. See, this idea in America that we have that we are all strong and I'm okay and you're okay. And so who needs a Savior? These are the kinds of reasons why it's hard for us to break through and invite people to come to Jesus. But that doesn't stop Andrew. It doesn't stop Andrew. He brings them to Jesus. In fact, if you read through the Gospel of John, it's really beautiful. Just pay attention the next time you read through it because there's a moment in chapter 6 when Jesus is about to feed the 5,000 and there's a little boy who has two fish and some loaves of bread it's just a little guy, a boy, and somebody brings him to Jesus. Do you know who it was? It was Andrew. And down in chapter 12, we are told there's these Greeks, and they want to meet Jesus. They want to be introduced to Jesus, and somebody brings them to Jesus. Guess who it was? It was Andrew. There was this inviting impulse in this ordinary, no-name disciple Bringing people to Jesus. Do you do that? Have you learned how to say, come and see? You might not be the best at the go and tell evangelism, but every one of us can do the come and see. Look at the words. He found Peter. He tells Peter. He brings Peter. Three great verbs. Find, tell, bring. Is that rocket science? Find, tell, bring. Last week we said, be on the lookout for divine appointments. That's find. Tell, spiral the conversation to the things of God. Give them our website. Bring. How? Well, before you leave today, you're going to get something. The ushers are going to hand out they're going to give each of you five food pantry bags. And stapled to it is an invitation to our Easter Sunday service. And you can just say to your friend, you know what, we're trying to do some good here in our community and, and we're, we would, we're asking our neighbors to bring some food to our food pantry, the list of what we need is right on the front but there's, we're going to all collect it on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday. And I was wondering if you would be my guest. Would you come with me to church on Easter? And together we're going, to, we're going to fill up the food pantry that helps so many people through the course of the year. Well, can you do that? You just have to find a neighbor, a colleague, a friend, a classmate, a schoolmate. You just need to tell them, give them the invitation. And you just need to bring, come and see. So everybody, let's, we, can you do this? Yes, you can do this. We can all do this.
Because when Andrew brings Peter, Jesus does business with him. And that's point number three. And you see this right in the text. First thing he does is changes Peter's name. And whenever that happens in the Bible, that represents something extraordinary because that is representing new birth, a new beginning. Simon becomes Peter. He becomes Cephas, the rock. Jesus renames him. And in the Old Testament, when Jacob is renamed, he's called Israel. And this is God asserting His mastery over Jacob. This is Jesus asserting His mastery over Peter. This is what He does for you. If you're a Christ follower, then the Lord Jesus has asserted His mastery over you. He's become your Lord. He's become your Savior. He's given you a new name. The book of Revelation says a secret name that you're going to learn when you get to heaven. And you're made new. That's what Jesus does. He takes people who are broken, and He makes them new. But remember what we said earlier about Andrew. The newness is not an end in itself. It is for this missional discipleship that we go and we reach people and we tell others of our newness. Have you done that? Have you really committed to letting your light shine? It's more than just living happily ever after. It's letting your light shine in this world that so needs our Jesus. We have found the Messiah. We found the Messiah. Come and see. Bring them in. I remember a few years ago, I think I told you this story from Michael Kitka, our church planter down in Queens. And he had a fellow in Queens that he's, he'd been witnessing to, and his friend was arrested. It was in Rikers Island. So Michael went to visit him as, as a pastor, and uh, he gets in onto the island, and he gets into the room, and he meets up with his friend who shuffles out wearing this bright orange prisoner's jumpsuit. They sit down, and they're silent together. And then the friend begins to speak of his shame. And Michael looks at him and Michael says, You know, I've been talking to you a lot about Jesus and I haven't made a lot of sense to you, but I want to tell you something. I want you to know that Jesus Christ came into the world to take that orange jumpsuit and to put it on Himself so that He would take your shame and bear it for you. And He would give you new clothes and wrap you in His righteousness. It's what we call the imputation exchange. The imputation of our sin onto the Lamb of God who in turn imputes His righteousness to us, undeserved, completely undeserved. I'm sorry, Walt Whitman, completely undeserved. Because He's the Lamb of God, my Savior. And I'm so happy that He's done that for me and He's done that for you, Michael said to the man. And the man began to weep. And he said, I'm ready, you see. 
He needed Jesus to take his shame, his orange jumpsuit, his sin. Maybe, maybe this is new news to you, but does this sound like good news to you? Have you ever asked Jesus to take your shame and your sin? Well, today's a good day to do it. He, we sang the song, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling to you and to me. Come home, come home. And who do you know? I know you know people that you can find and tell and bring. What high privilege is ours? What high privilege is ours to welcome them into the body of Christ? Be expectant as you go. Pray as you go, as you give these out. Have courage. Jesus said, don't be ashamed of me. He knew that we might be tempted, but he says, don't be ashamed of me. I won't be ashamed of you, he says. So find, tell, bring. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we, as we pray now, uh, I'm inviting each of us to get in our mind's eye someone that we could, that you would have a divine appointment for us, what we might call low-hanging fruit, Lord. Maybe there's some low-hanging fruit. That is someone who you've prepared, because we know this is all a part of your choreography. Our days are choreographed by you, and you will bring us in the pass of the day to someone that we can tell and bring. Lord, would you put someone on each of our hearts right now that we could bring? They could come on Easter Sunday, or they could come to vacation Bible school, or they could come to youth group. They could come to Sunday school. They could just come to church with me. I pray for that person right now, Lord. I pray that you make them like Peter, like Simon, who said, sure, I'll come with you. Surprise us, Lord. Make us expectant. Give us 30, 40, 50 new families to our church, Lord, we pray. Single adults, teenagers, children, Give them to us, that we may bless them and encourage them to know you, the Lamb of God. For we pray with thankfulness in your name. Amen.